0: Hello and welcome to the Colts coverage Podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, we are in a weird spot in the Colts search. Uh, they have moved on to the second round of interviews. I don't know if we can call them finalists yet, uh, but the way the Colts have been doing this, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that there's another round, a third interview. It'd be very strange, not the way they normally do it in the NFL, but I could see it happening. Um, and realistically, from what we know from an outside perspective, uh, I don't. I have not seen any um, definitive reporting on who the front runner is. Uh, I haven't seen like there's the. We'll, we'll get to this in a little bit, but like in the last couple of days, it, people started reporting that that Frank Reich was good was getting was was getting a chance in Carolina, and that's that that happened right before we started taping this podcast. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of that, other than from people saying that. Jeff Saturday is Jim Ursay's choice for the job. Um, I don't know that that's a new thing. Um, I think most of what's come out is pretty much the same stuff we've heard the entire time, is they're trying to do a uh, a search, and who knows what Ursae's going to do. That's, that's pretty much been the narrative this whole time. But uh, there's still stuff to talk about, and part of that is because Saturday continues to make news and Saturday continues to be a lightning rod for the fan base. And our colleague, our colleague, Greg Doyle, uh, wrote that Saturday has been trying to create favor behind the scenes with local media members. He didn't call me or you as far as I know. Um, Not yet. Anyway, probably not going to now that Greg has uh, (laughs) put that on Front Street. Um, But, uh, you know, the the other thing about this is I, I wonder if that's partially Uh, an acknowledgement and maybe in response to how against that higher colts fan the colts fan base would be uh you you've kind of spent some time there have been a lot of of polls and stuff but you have kind of spent some time online trying to figure out like you know what do these polls mean and you've got some interesting information uh from from what you've been sort of your your uh unscientific polling you've been doing
1: yeah yeah, you know, we're, like you said, not a whole lot has changed as far as real movement in this search. So you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of kind of where everyone is on these candidates. There's 13 of them. Um, so far, we've heard there's what, four finalists, uh, could be as many as seven. But I just kind of ran through some of the guys that seemed to be in the running. And I did uh, like a pull thread on Twitter, which, you know, fair to say, like, obviously, it's a small sample size. There's like 7 percent of all people are even on social media. You know, but it's kind of the best measure that we have of sort of the vocal people and a lot of plugged in people who follow the coverage and whatnot uh, nationally and locally. So I I did this thread where I just went through several different candidates, all with the same question, which is, how would you feel if the Colts hired blank? And I had four different categories uh, split between two positive and two negative. So you had to pick four against it. And the four were home run. Uh, the second one was good for good with it, which means, you know, you're not jumping out of your seats, but you're, you'll support, uh, the third one, you're not thrilled, but you're not mad. You'll live with it. So basically it wasn't your top choice, but you're good. And then the fourth one was you hate it. And so the, you know, I did this for about six of these candidates and very interesting numbers on here. Uh, that I think are tied together. So we'll start with the one that that we everyone wants to talk about, which is Jeff Saturday. You know, I asked those those four options for Jeff Saturday. Ninety-three percent voted against the idea of Jeff Saturday. That was over twenty-three hundred votes, and of the of the ninety, like the ninety-three percent, seventy-four percent of the total said they would hate it. Like that. That is about as extreme of a poll as I've ever seen, and. Yeah, you know, again, small sample, all that. This is not – I'm not saying this means everything, but 93% of guests, would, that, that, that just sets up a guy to be a hard sell. And I wondered, like, when that came out, like, is this just – are Colts fans not going to be happy with any of the options? Are they just, you know, Jim Harbaugh or Sean Payton or Bust and no one's really good? That's not the way it played out, though, because almost every other person I did this for had a positive – uh approval rating, basically, except for Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was the one that was 34% for, 66% against, but uh, Raheem Morris was 71% for, and Brian Callahan and Shane Steichen were both at 89% for, and then Eric Bieniemy was a 50-50 split. And then I threw D'Amico Ryans in there, and he was, I think, the highest of anyone, like 82% for, or 92% for. So basically, what that basically says is Colts fans are all the way in on one of those offensive minds, uh, Callahan or Steichen. Most of them are pretty far the way in on like a Raheem Morris guy who's a defensive coach but has some offensive background. They don't seem to be very in on Dan Quinn, which I think is an interesting thing to talk about, but they're not all the way out. The one that they're just so far out on is Jeff Saturday. And I think when you contrast 93% against for him, with 89% for Steichen and Callahan. I think those are connected because Steichen and Callahan are, we don't know that much about them, right? They're offensive coordinators who work for offensive minded head coaches, incredibly talented offenses. They're doing very, very well, but there's still some wild card nature to that. They've never been a head coach before. But that to me, part of their vote it seems to be rooted in this kind of never Saturday movement that 93% against Jeff is. They're happy with other options because it's something different than that, especially when you consider kind of what this franchise is looking for, which I think the thing that okay. we look through those polls and I think why the way people are voting is, is very much about the quarterback is the fact that everything now is about drafting a quarterback, developing him, uh, giving him a stable environment, giving him a plan to succeed an actual passing game playbook that that has a good chance and those poll results tell me that that's front of mind for everybody and they believe in certain guys or at least they're very open to it. And then they're very out on, you know, the, the current interim coach. And uh,
0: yeah, they it's kind essentially, of
1: some things over her. essentially
0: the results of what you've done on Twitter is the fan base is anybody but Saturday. You mm-hmm. can maybe put the and Dan Quinn in parentheses there, but it's still not the same. It's not the same quite as. Uh, as heavy against as Saturday, it's it's almost what the fan base is saying is anybody but Saturday. Now,
1: yeah, the thing with Dan Quinn to your point is that, like I said, it's only thirty four percent in favor, so it's not a popular candidate. But only twelve percent said they'd hate it, so even that one majority was, you know, that's they're just not excited about it, which I get on some levels. On some levels, I don't. But of all that, the hated option I've listed for everybody, the highest of anybody but Saturday was Eric B enemy had 13% would hate it and Saturday was 74%. Just interesting. I think it feeds into like, like there's a petition going around and you know, I struggled a little bit. I wrote it, that up on our website and it's, it's hard to read those too because at what number does a petition become really something? I mean, 60,000 people watch Colts games. So that petition, you know, it's a, 2000 right now have, have signed a petition to not have Jeff Saturday as the coach. That, that doesn't to me, like you do the numbers, that doesn't count as a, a boycott. That doesn't count as hell. You could effectively argue that like Colts shouldn't pay any attention to any of the petitions of the Twitter noise, uh, but it is unique. I've never seen a petition for someone who was up for a head coaching job and not one that. You know, generate at least 2,000 votes. So there, there's definitely a strong movement from fans to kind of push against a lot of what the national media is putting out there, which is that, that Jeff's in a good position for this job.
0: Um, and you know, it's important to know to know, and everyone has said this, so we're not saying anything new or anything. Colts fans, a lot of Colts fans know this better than you and I do because they've been around longer than we have. But it's not. It's important to note that Jim Irsay does pay attention to public perception in uh, sentiment. Um, that's been that's been true time and time again. And I find it hard to believe that that he's unaware at this point of what the fan base thinks. Um, there's there's been various if just just type in in social media, just type in at Jim Mercsey on Twitter or go look at the Colts page and look at all the replies the the reaction to any tweet, almost any tweet, is about don't hire jeff saturday uh you know like he tweeted about babyface being the other day and like a bunch of the first ones a bunch of the first ones were like hey that's great don't hire Jeff saturday as the head coach we like him but
1: um you know and yeah. it was it was almost like can we keep on task here yeah hire a good coach or right. a coach that that we like um,
0: they they just have like uh he, he's gotta know. There's just no way he doesn't know. You would have to be so insulated, and he's far too much on Twitter and tweeting stuff and, and doing stuff on social media to not have some idea of how it'd be received. So, like the last time that they hired him, that initial press conference was like him essentially saying. Screw you to everyone in the national media and everybody who said that the hire wasn't going to work. Hiring Jeff Saturday now would be saying screw you to like literally everyone. Um, yeah. and and he, if you if you believe if you believe the reports, which I do, because matches what Ballard said in his in both of his press conferences, he'd be saying screw you to his, his the people on his own staff in his front office. Um, it would be an all-timer of a my-way-or-the-highway type of type of hire. And it just – when when I start talking about all that different stuff right now, it seems really, really difficult to see it actually happening. The thing that makes it actually happen is that I've already seen it happen once and got hired and brought in as the interim coach. So I feel like I can't rule anything out. But when I start, like, talking through what will actually happen – if that's the hire at the end of this, it seems impossible.
1: Yeah, it's it does seem impossible. It's like because like someone put this out there and it's interesting to think about. If he had never hired Jeff Saturday as the interim and he was hiring him now, it would probably go over better. You know, like he would have eight fewer games of experience. But we wouldn't have anything to judge him on. You could sit back on, well, nobody knows if he'd be a great coach, and you know, let him build his own staff. There would be, there's, there wouldn't have been this sort of this movement wouldn't be there. I don't think this level of of this Jeff Saturday was just sort of a reported name who was interviewing, but it never really worked here. It was fans can't divorce from kind of what they just saw in that second half of the year, which was. You know They came out and they beat the Raiders, which was fun, but then they lost seven in a row. And just the way some of those games went down, if you read the petition, fans just keep bringing up these sort of scarring memories that they have of the collapse in Minnesota and the fourth quarter in uh, Dallas and uh, the moment where you know, Nick Foles is down on the ground and his offensive line is not standing up for him. And they're not the only ones who brought that up because the other person who brought up all three of those events was Chris Ballard and his end-of-year presser. These sort of visceral moments from the second half of the season that would fall back on this sort of feeling of, you know, the the, the tone and the identity and the personality. And um, he called it competitive confidence of this team. So if you want to divorce from the record, if you want to say one in seven, you know, that that alone shouldn't answer for everything. I think you you could start going in that direction. But the problem is when you get into the details, it it, it seems to become even more bothersome for people. And it's interesting because like, look, I teams have made mistakes in the past by hiring based on who can win a press conference. And I'm not saying that's what anyone should do or that that's going to work. But you got to look at it kind of the way it goes down. So for example, when Nick Sirianni got hired in Philadelphia, he did not win the press conference. It was a very poor press conference. He kind of stumbled over his words and created some viral clips. And I think it just wasn't an exciting hire. He didn't, you know, he was a non-play calling offensive coordinator, and we know how people obsessed about that. The difference there, though, was like everyone in the building was on board with that. Howie Rose right. wanted Front it. Front office. Yep. Yeah. Ownership wanted it, and they were like, "Okay, we'll deal with fans being unexcited at the start a little bit." But even though like the press conference didn't go well, that's all people had to like hit him with was he stumbled over some words. And then once he gets into coaching, once he get into training camp, they see the team on the field. It kind of balanced out and then they're intrigued to see what it looks like and he goes nine and eight his first year and gets to the playoffs and and it turns around the problem for this is is like two things what you brought up is one which is there's not alignment here there's not it's pretty clear now if if Jim Mersey makes this higher or at least the image that they're gonna have to fight like crazy is that he went over the people in his own building to do that he didn't go with the recommendation of his GM which means setting up an arranged marriage, which means within the building, so block out the outside perception. Within the building, it's hard to keep everyone on that same page and dialed in. Well, that's from, one part that's
0: day hard. one from day one they'll they'd be at odds. Like from day one, yeah. they'd be at huggerheads. Like Ursay has talked before several times about learning about learning from the Grigson and Pagano era that he doesn't want uh, a mismatch between GM and head coach. And like that that lesson to that lesson for him should take precedence, significant precedence over whatever he thinks about Jeff Saturday as a coaching prospect, because, mm-hmm. like I've heard him talk about it two or three times now about we can't have dysfunction between the GM and the head coach like we've had before. We just can't do that. And he's right. They can't do that. It, it's an impossible thing to do that. So, um, yeah, like it's weird. It's crazy. The more I so it's not just we, we brought up the we brought up the, the the polls on social media and stuff, but like I would say that just going about my daily life out here in Fishers, Indiana, where there's a lot of Colts fans and season ticket holders and stuff, uh, like when I go to church on Sunday or when I go to my pickup basketball games, um, you know, just regular things. The, the the one guy who always likes to stop me in the gym and ask me about ask me questions about the Colts, um, like I don't know if I've heard anybody I don't know if I've heard anybody in the last two or three weeks say, hey, uh, I hope I think they should give Jeff Saturday a shot. Like the social media follows what the public is saying. At least I mean a pretty strong, different group of people. I'd say twenty or thirty people, none of whom necessarily know each other you know, uh, have said in, in real life too. Like I just, there's a lot of times that I try to use because social media and Twitter can be a um, an incorrect reading of the fan base sometimes because it's, it's the people who are most invested and most online. Yeah. Uh, so I always try to buttress that with like just normal people I see randomly out. But this time they are in complete alignment. Like I, like I said, the, the message I'm getting from everywhere is Essentially, hey, he's he's not really going to do this, right? And I keep having to say, well, he could, but my only reason for that is because he did it before when no one else – when no one thought that that's the move he would make. And so that's the hard part here is the more we talk about it, the, the, the more we talk about it, the more it seems just impossible to actually make that the higher. But – yeah it would have seemed impossible if we were talking about this before an interim interim hire too
1: yeah but see the one is it, you know as controversial as that first presser was when they brought him in the move to bring him in obviously we saw the visceral reactions from you know whether it's Joe Thomas or Bill Cower or everyone else who sounded off on it the one fallback that the Colts had at the time was look it's an interim hire like it's a it's a trial they kept talking about it's an audition we're going to go through a normal process they were like they wanted to push back pump the brakes in a lot of this and whenever anyone would go hard that was kind of the the gut response was look let it play out for seven or eight let it play out for eight games and then we'll see where it is but like if they if they go forward with it it's not an audition anymore it's not a it's not a trial it's not a learn on the job type thing it is you saying this is the identity of our franchise and i guess like to me, the the troubling thing is they they don't know how to sell it, and we we've asked them to sell it. We've asked, you know, we've asked Chris Ballard, um, you know, about his valuation of Jeff Saturday. We've asked players. We've asked Jeff, and even when they when they say positive things, which some of them believe, I believe there are, you know, I was just talking to someone yesterday. There are people who really liked Jeff as a person in the building, the things, the just the personality he has, some of these raw traits, but. Everything they talk about, the, the selling points are not football points, really. They're things about like, you know, energy and, and accountability, or it's falling back on some of those excuses of, well, he was dealt a bad hand. That isn't a way to sell this if you're going to actually make it a hire, though. It's saying, well, his past failures were because he was in a bad spot. Like to get a job, you have to have already proven something. Like you have to have, you don't get to have the job and then four years later, you know, say, well, that's the reason that I got it is, is the results I produced. So I just think they're going to lose a honeymoon phase if they do it, which is which is hard. It's hard on the fan base. And the thing is, it ends up getting to the players. It really ends up getting to the players. And I think especially at this point, when they, they already know that that Chris Fowler didn't choose Jeff Saturday as the interim. At this point, it's it's going to be very clear. he didn't choose him as a head coach. So not only is there friction between a GM and a head coach, but everyone in the building knows it. And the one thing that someone I was talking to yesterday in the building that stressed was when you saw that team, you know, they weren't a great team the first half of the year last year. Obviously, they were 3 3 and 1. They didn't score a lot of points, but they were a very together team. They were, they could come back, they were poised, they were, they'd come back in the fourth quarter. They were in most of those games until the quarterback change. They said when they, when they looked like a team that was scared out there, that would just fall apart at the moment of adversity, that was because, everything above them was crumbling. Like, they felt the dysfunction of the entire franchise. And they had this weight about them, which is, what's next? Like, if we lose this game, if we get blown out, if we blow this lead, what's next? Does our offensive – you know, does our quarterback's coach get fired? Do they trade one of us? Like, when you have – when you have lost the trust in, like, the leadership, which at that point, for a long time here, it was Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, they believed in them, maybe – too much you could argue but it was stable when you get to the point where it's like the owner may step in and do anything it gets to be very hard for anybody to attack the day with competitive confidence and for jim or to keep a head coach permanently that his gm doesn't want or that his front office isn't isn't recommending and that doesn't really have a case um, that's where you get into a lot of trouble and i'll just say like that is the worst scenario you can drop a rookie quarterback into is what I just described. And so it's, it's just hard to step back and think how will this work in the building with where they are? Even if you believe in Jeff Saturday, long-term potential, all that, even if you talk yourself into the idea that he has some traits that could make a great coach down the line in this moment, in this scenario, it's going to be almost impossible to sell that to the people who really matter.
0: Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's funny. It's funny that talking about this like even just now as we're talking about this I'm realizing like there's more tentacles to it. We haven't even gotten into the national reaction, which if anybody saw Ian Rappaport's spot uh, on the Colts coaching search, uh, Ian is not usually that um, uh, dismissive. Uh, Ian Ian's a lot of things and Ian makes Ian has Ian has his flaws, but man, if you haven't seen it Ian Ian Rappaport says Something like along the lines of Jeff Saturday, who's who was one in seven as an interim and uh, and not actually <laughs> not actually being a coach. And then at the end of it, he said, if it is in fact Jeff Saturday, which I know would make the heads explode of many, many actual coaches around the league. Like we all knew that this is the reaction. Uh, we all know that this is the reaction from like but from national stuff, but. There was a point here in Indy where everyone in Indy kind of got like, you know what? Screw off, screw the rest of the country. We don't care about the experts. Like, it's not nice for the, it's not nice for them to react this way. Let's give everybody a chance. Like, a lot of those people, like Joe, you mentioned Joe Thomas and Bill Cower earlier, who took some heat after they beat the Raiders, and now everything they said. Especially Joe Thomas, who said that the longer that they went, that they more they'd be Jeff Saturday's team, and the more it would be obvious. Like everything they said came to pass. And so, like, there's a whole bunch of national reaction stuff that if they get go down that that road, like we'll be talking about it on another podcast. Like how coaches will react, how coaches, how minority coaches will react, how like the rest of the NFL will react. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff there. But just locally, the way we're talking about it now. You would be starting out a new regime essentially on the worst possible footing. You could possibly start out a regime. Yeah, I yeah, I, I cannot think of, with the exception of maybe Urban Meyer. I don't know if Jacksonville. I, I don't. I'm not plugged in I enough to so. Jacksonville. No, like I, I, I don't think I so with Urban remember, at all.
1: Actually, like, I can't Urban stuff page terribly.
0: I can't remember with, I can't remember with any other coach where like, if they made the hire, like once they made the hire that, you know, there could be, there's always people against it. Like there's always going to be people against whoever you hire and be like, this was a bad idea. They should have gone after this. But usually people are like, okay, he's here. Let's see what happens. You know, uh, even that happened with Nathaniel Hackett today with, uh, him becoming the Jets offensive coordinator, like yeah. That that news broke today, and there were some people who were like, "Okay, Nathaniel Hackett, really?" After what happened in Denver, but there were a lot of people that were like, "Well, look at his work with Green Bay," and they gave like reasons for for Hackett. If if Saturday gets tired, it will be ninety to ten negative, negative. and I can't think of any other coaching situation starting off like that in the last like in the time I've been covering NFL, which is almost a decade now.
1: No, the closest I can think to it, and I wasn't there, it was a year before I, I got to Chicago, was when the Bears hired Mark Tressman and they did it over Bruce Arians. Over Bruce Arians. Coming off the coach of the year run here. And it it certainly wasn't a popular move. It was not at all. They were hiring a coach that that was when they were hiring a coach from the Canadian Football League in a major market over the hottest candidate in the league. So that's the closest I can think of, but even that one still kind of went the way you're talking about where other people said yeah but look he's he's got a long track record with quarterbacks uh at the time that was a selling point for him he was he was an incredibly nice engaging person which which Jeff is too but there wasn't this built-up animosity from there are open-minded people to some of it um and then and then eventually he got into the season and his offense did well they went eight and eight and people who are open-minded until it fell apart. Um, but even other ones where it's like even other kind of head scratcher ones, they just don't reach this level. Like I think about the last two hires the Texans made of Lovey Smith and David Coley very much came off as like guys who didn't have other options. It was you know you couldn't really see that as a long-term answer at least especially with Lovey Smith. But again, the stakes were a lot different there where the Texans are very clearly, just trying to kind of move on from the Deshaun Watson era and recoup the lost draft capital and cap space of the Bill O'Brien tenure, and they weren't drafting a quarterback into that. They were almost just kind of biding time and doing an organizational tank to get the top picks to then do that. Um, you know, and then they end up firing those guys. It's it's look, it wasn't ever covered Rosalie, but I don't think anyone saw like the hire of Lovey Smith as like the franchise-defining moment of the Houston Texans. It was a one-year, let's wait, now get a quarterback. The thing is, this year that the Colts are doing this is when they're going to draft a quarterback for the first time since Andrew Luck. Like, this is such an incredibly important hire. That's what, like, the more I talk to people is how much they emphasize. Like, this is not... This is so much different than bringing in the interim coach, which... We talked plenty about it and it had plenty of uproar, but that's still, that was a three and five team. The quarterback, like the future quarterback wasn't on the roster. There was going to be some change no matter what happened. Reich was probably not going to come back no matter what. It's still weird that they did it that way, but to do it now, yeah, it's it's hard to compare anything to, to that. And you even brought up Urban Meyer, like. Obviously, there were skeptics when he got hired. Of you know, another college coach has never done it. A lot of people don't like Urban, but a lot of people were excited about it because it was you know he coached at Florida, won a national title, and a lot of those fans are Jaguars fans. And there was this idea that's like this guy's won everywhere. Let's give him a chance. Only when it like he actually had to earn the bad reputation with what he did after that. But it, what the honeymoon phase, I don't think is comparable to what we could see here. Yeah, now that I think about it, most of the negative reaction
0: was from essentially. National people or college people or like college writers, like people who have issues with urban from before, not not in Jacksonville. Um, In an unsurprising and what should be unsurprising to most people, not super plugged into the Jacksonville fan base. I I don't I don't know a ton uh, outside of the, the. You know, the weird, awful curse they put on the stadium down there and my general hatred for the city uh but uh as a quick as a quick aside uh there's three teams that have overseas games next year on the schedule and i'm just I'm just putting it out there uh, in uh into the uh into the universe you know if anybody wants to uh save me a trip to Jacksonville and replace it with a uh, with a trip to uh to richmond green
1: i mean oh, I, I would goodness. i would hate it. It wouldn't wouldn't hurt my feelings. That's all I'm saying. You you wouldn't get any complaints out of me either. I've actually never gone over to Europe, so or Mexico. So I would be very open to either of those.
0: Um uh, Mexico's not on the board
1: though. No they're, doing, the board.
0: no, they're doing they're doing renovations to Estadio, Estadio Azteca. So uh, they can't do it for a couple of years, they'll be back after a little while. But yeah, just putting that out in the universe. Uh, I told I told our editor, Nat Newell, that I would try to uh, keep my uh, my hopes secret, but I guess they're not anymore. I people who've listened to this podcast long enough to hear me talk about Jacksonville before uh, should not like could have guessed that without me saying anything. Yeah, they could also save me the trip to Nashville. That wouldn't hurt either. Like we drive to Nashville. And it's generally just a one-day trip, which is right up my alley. But I would also like be fine with not having the uh, the five-hour drive
1: that starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. The international game would just be fun. But, I would, yeah, I think the, the Colts players would love to not go to Jacksonville, too. That doesn't tend to be a very nice place for them. Well, they lost in London the last time they played Jacksonville as the home team. So
0: it's part of the yeah. street. It's part of the street. The, London is part of the badness too, so that doesn't help anybody. But they Always can't get the that jitters. game off the schedule, so I'm I'm just hoping they save me uh, a trip, which I am I have almost successfully made the shortest trip that we take all year. I think the last two
1: seasons, I think I've been in Jacksonville for like 19 hours or something like that. Um, yeah, the only time I've flown out the night of a game was Jacksonville, just because you were already doing it. So oh. you even pulled me into that that mantra. <laughs> um this has been your this has been
0: your joel hates jacksonville uh rabbit trail on the podcast these come up every once in a while um uh one one last piece to discuss on the podcast it happened in the news broke right before we started taping this uh frank reich is the new, new head coach of the carolina panthers um I, I i i don't think anybody should be surprised by that um, I don't think anybody should be surprised by that. It, you know, the, the Colts said that there was a chance that he was going to get another head coaching job uh, right away. Uh, just from a, like, personal standpoint, like, I think most listeners of the podcast know Frank Reich is a, is a good man who uh, always treated people really well here. his His family is in Charlotte, so that's kind of a nice little thing for him both personally and professionally to end up back there where his daughters are. And his daughters were here a lot. His daughters were here in Indianapolis a lot at at different games and working with not today and doing all that kind of stuff. But, but just that's, Charlotte is sort of their family's home base. So that's, that's just a little, a little wrinkle to put on there of, 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 of seeing that news. He, He got another shot in the, in the NFL, um, they, he's going to a place where they're gonna to have to find a quarterback, which was he's undoing here. Who knows how that's going to go? Uh, but just in terms of him landing on his feet, landing in a place that's good for him, that's 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 my initial reaction.
1: yeah, he he and the Colts both needed a fresh start by the end of it. i just I just remember seeing him, especially after that last game against the the Patriots, where he could barely answer any of our questions, because he just kind of was staring down and, and blaming himself. And you just feel like so, we all get in a rut sometimes. You you want something so bad. And it, and it even if you're successful overall, as he was going 40, 33 and one with a new quarterback every year, you know, there's a time to move on and there's time when you're at your worst. And that's what I think came out of Frank, just that the quarterback carousel brought out the worst in a lot of people. Um, some of it's their fault. They couldn't solve it. But some of it's just it drags everything down over time. And he, he just seems energized. So I remember when he was back, when you talked to him that day when he was back in town here for a charity event, Like the, the light was just totally back in his eyes. And this is a very different look of the last few times that I saw him. And so you look, a lot of coaches in NFL history have really rebounded well in their second run. They're better in their second run than the first one. Guys like Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll and Andy Reid and Tony Dungy. You know, there's there's something to be said for going through it, whether it's good or bad, your first run and learning, like there's so many things on a head coach and that kind of ties into Jeff Saturday conversation of all these things that you realize once you're a head coach of why that's one of the hardest jobs in the world and things then you would do differently, whether it's, you know, things that really don't have that much to do with football, whether it's staffing, whether it's, you know, delegating, whether it's the schedules you run, whether it's um, certain attributes you look for in certain players and Frank's been taking notes on all of this. So I think he's set up pretty well in that spot. What'll be interesting is now that the Panthers are in the quarterback market, you know, do they get in a situation where they're trying to leap over teams to get their quarterback, including the Colts? I was gonna say, uh, you mean like could the be Colts? something to watch.
0: <laughs> so um Yeah, and that's a very aggressive owner that that Reich is working for now. Um who is who is impatient and would like would like to have a quarterback and have answers there so um you know and and people are going to say well they're you know they're down at i guess they're picking ninth is that right sounds right uh yeah and people are going to be like well they can't get over they can't jump them yeah they can yep they just have to offer the bears or somebody more than the colts do that's that's all you have to do um and people are going to be like well the Colts have better stuff to offer them it just you just keep offering more that's a, that's just that's just the way this works like it's not a set like there are there are parameters and like places you start from but if you really want a quarterback
1: you just keep offering more until you get to move up and it also depends on how in love you are with a certain quarterback like you could have a situation where if you're Chris Ballard and you're looking at these and you say you know I I like CJ Stroud I don't know if I want to trade up for that. You know, maybe he's open-minded to Bryce Young, even though he doesn't fit sort of his normal size parameters, but he's just not sure he wants to bet everything on that uh size outlier. That could be totally different than a way that team like the Panthers looks at it. Like a comparison would be when the Chiefs moved up for Patrick Mahomes, they had such a belief and such a love for that specific quarterback that the price at some point didn't matter to them. So if if Chris Ballard's sitting there at four, and he likes a couple of the different options. Even if he's interested in trading up, he may not be as full head over heels as a team like the Panthers, who they could convince themselves that Bryce Young is the answer to the franchise, get him, figure everything else out, who cares about the cost. And this is what ends up happening. It's not just the teams ahead of you that that automatically have a leg up. It's who's most desperate, who's most willing to make that jump. Yeah. It, it's it, that's the next
0: thing after the Colts make this higher, which honestly, it doesn't, I don't think it's coming very soon.
1: Just don't. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. Um, one thing I wanted to, to talk they've about got 4
0: they've got four interviews this week. Uh, we're taping this on Thursday, the 26th. So before the championship games, they've got four interviews. They're expected to have three more probably after that, um, likely from coaches who are coaching in those championship games. And then uh, you know, it could be like the, it could be like the Panthers. They could zero in on a candidate who's available and, and hire him middle of next week, but it could be longer than that. If the, if their candidate is in the Super Bowl. um, I'd be interesting to see if they, if they get a chance at D'Amico Ryans,
1: cause it's starting to sound like he's the guy in Denver. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. And he also sounds like he's the top choice of the Texans, which is no surprise. He was a star player there. And we'll see. I mean, he, the Colts were not as high a priority to him, it seems, as those other two, because he he did those first two interviews and then declined to talk to them. And why that matters is that based on the timing of when that happened, that meant the Colts couldn't talk to him for an additional like nine days or something like that with the way the NFL rules are set up. So he sounds like a guy. I mean, he like I said, when I read this poll, he's the one guy that kind of everyone thought would be a grand slam Um he's he's worth waiting out for i just it's hard to see if he wants to be head coach that that this is gonna be his top choice but i guess you never know um one thing i wanted want to talk about real quick though we kind of hinted at earlier was dan quinn though is the one it's that doesn't seem like to be a very popular choice for colts fans like on that poll i did he was what was it he was at uh 34 percent in favor um I'm curious what you think about that. That number kind of surprised me that it would be at that level because, in league circles, he seems to be one of those guys that's higher on the list, that's more in demand uh, than than some of these other options. Um, I think
0: I think that Colts fans um, want to feel like they're getting something new um, and unexplored. I think is probably part of it, but people tend to. Uh, if somebody didn't even if someone won a Super Bowl uh, at their last stop, the the general feeling on people who are getting their second job is often I don't know if this is going to work because I saw them play, you know, people who watched the Falcons after the talent began to break down around him, um, that kind of thing that that stuff sticks with people, whereas like people who haven't been head coaches, you're just going off of the the units they coordinate. Uh, and for most of them, I mean, most of the people that people are excited about are at the top of the rankings or have, you know, star players in in positions that the Colts want. And so I think that that's part of Which it. Which is Dan
1: just, Quinn, too. I and know, but the last defense. time, oh, but
0: he actually has stuff as a head coach. And so that's the biggest thing is, like, the last time people saw him as a head coach, the Falcons were kind of coming apart at the seams. Although probably less his fault than the general manager's fault. Um. Almost certainly, I think. Uh, and and so I think that's part of it. Now, I'll say this. I think that the, the same reasons you'd be excited about a coordinator for a different one are reasons to be excited about Dan Quinn. Mike McCarthy has said, like, how much is the players have responded to him. That Cowboys defense has responded to him. Micah Parsons loves him. Like, truly loves him. Uh and, and obviously he, they were successful in Atlanta. He He's shown an ability to find offensive coordinators. I mean, it, it didn't end up working out that way towards the end, but he's shown an ability to find offensive coordinators. And like you said or earlier, when you're talking about, Reich, a lot of times in their second go rounds, guys hit the hit a better a mix or learn from something that they didn't do in the first one. And it ends up, it ends up looking better than it did. So, um, I'm I'm open to almost any candidate, um, just because I I just feel like you just don't know you just don't know what you're gonna get. I don't know that. Um, well, like for instance, when Cincinnati hired Zach Taylor, I don't know if I like if I expected him to to be able to handle. I think I probably at the time was thinking, oh, you just hired another McVeigh clone, and, and maybe maybe what's happening in Cincinnati probably what's happening in Cincinnati has more to do with Joe Burrow, but he's at least not messed it up. You know what I mean? At the very least, he's not messed it up. They've been to two straight championship games in the Super Bowl. And um, same thing with like, same thing with like, even maybe like Lafleur when he got hired in Green Bay. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I looked at that as like, oh, they got a guy who's, who's got something. Or if I looked at it as, uh, they're just trying to tap into the McVay thing. And I probably made a joke to somebody in a text message at the time, like, well, they hired him because he's young and he has facial hair. and He's an offensive coordinator who's talked to Sean McVay. I probably said that at some point. So um, I'm kind of open, which isn't really what fans want to hear. Fans don't really want to hear, like, uh, they they want you to have a strong stance. My stance is we don't really know what these guys are until they start actually being head coaches. Um, and outside of Dan Quinn, we don't have a whole lot. I know Raheem Morris was a head coach at one point, but it's a long time ago. Um, so,
1: yeah, I think that's kind of what it is with Quinn is It's there's always this element of like you'd rather have what's in the mystery box than what you feel like you already know, because Dan Quinn is the one that was a head coach very recently in ways that people paid a lot of attention to. And it feels like maybe there's a ceiling to that. you know he finished five hundred. But I'd also say, you know, he was. Well, the twenty-eight to three jokes like he was in that position, like his worst moment was an overtime loss to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the way I look at this, though, with and Zach Taylor is a good example of this. What, what matters to me more than the specifics about, you know, how good a coach is at a certain thing is that what is the alignment in the plan for the quarterback? And those two things can sell me on just about any coach. And you think about like Zach Taylor, there was a lot to pick a party didn't really run an offense ranshawma Bay's offense did start well there at all and Cincinnati was six and 25 and one after two years but what's different different is once they drafted joe burrow four people were all on the same page it's the owner the gm the head coach the quarterback they all had a plan and now we're seeing it come together where some of those other particulars like is, is Zach Taylor the most you know incredible play designer is he is he the absolute best at, at you know, staffing and delegation. I don't know, but, but they've, they found that plan. And like you said, he hasn't messed it up. So Dan Quinn, I get if there's skepticism to me. It's about what is the plan for your offense? Because if it's to go bring, you know, Brian Schottenheimer with him and, and recreate the Seahawks for a rookie quarterback, that scares you. But at the same time, what Dan Quinn has shown is he went out and got Kyle Shanahan and it's easy to say now, well, anyone can hire it. Like it's Kyle Shanahan. Yes. But, He went out and did that as a first time head coach. And that's where Shanahan made his
0: that's where Shanahan made his name was in Atlanta. Like we yeah, we didn't we didn't really know much about Kyle Shanahan as a as a NFL public until he got to uh Atlanta and his offense helped Matt Ryan win an MVP. You know, that's that's where it first worked for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's like and then where it fell apart is they didn't replace that well enough once he left. It's sort of a problem the Colts ran into when Nick Sirianni got hired away. That is a big challenge. And, and maybe that's something you would hope that he's he's learned to have a better feel for. Um, but, but that's when, like, these are things we just don't – I don't know what his plan for offensive coordinator is. I don't know what he wants in a quarterback or if he's just going to delegate to an offensive coordinator. But I just say, like, so many people seem to view this through the lens of play calling – and as I would talk to people, when you actually list out what's best in uh, in a head coach, like offensive play calling is pretty low on the list. It's certainly nice if your head coach is also an Andy Reid or a Kyle Shanahan, who's really good at that. But like Nick Sirianni doesn't call the plays. And I think if you're a defensive coach, what I look at more than than that is like, what's your philosophy on offense? What's your philosophy on like, What have you gathered of the challenges in stopping offenses and what that's done to create your philosophy of building out a staff and finding a quarterback? And I'd say Dan Quinn, I think, has shown more of that with his willingness to go get Kyle Shanahan and just some of the places he's been, you know, working with Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott in in explosive offense in Dallas, Um, even some of the Seattle days when he was there and and they were really starting to build it with Russell Wilson. It's a little bit more intrigue to me with that than like there's some defensive coaches that just. I think it's very obvious that they don't think much about offenses at all. And that's obviously that has to drive the boat here. So I understand the skepticism, but at the same time, I think you do a lot worse than Dan Quinn. Like a lot of guys would come want to work for him. And this, this franchise needs, they need stability. They need the dysfunction out of here like that. (laughs) that, that, The more that I cover this coaching search, the more that becomes very clear. You've got to get alignment. You've got to get, you know, staff that's on board and every, and I think Dan Quinn's that guy can come in and, and at least the people on his staff, on his on his roster, in his front office would believe in him, and then you see how it plays out. But that's that's a better chance than I think. Um, what we we're talking about if you if you you just keep Jeff Saturday, you don't have a lot of those elements, and then you're trying to kind of climb uphill and out of the dysfunction a little bit more.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Again, I.
0: <laughs> this is this is so not what you're supposed to do as a writer. I. You're supposed to have like a, a strong take or whatever. Just, just hire a football coach, and I'll I'll see what happens after that.
1: With what the exception, with our lives.
0: With the exception of, with the exception of, like, I Saturday went one in seven, and so that's my my chief issue with him is the results. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of different things that I think he probably did wrong. Um, there's a lot of reasons I don't think it's going to work. But ultimately, for me, it's a one in seven thing. So, I mean, that's I'm not I'm not I don't know living there. I'm with 93 percent of the population or whatever. Um, but as far as the rest of the guys go, just about anybody else they bring in, it'll be a, okay. Let's see, let's see what happens. Um, yeah. And that's that's not popular, but that's just the way my brain works. Is well, I got I got to see, like you said with Dan Quinn, like okay, who's the offensive coordinator? Uh, what are they going to do to help the quarterback? We're, honestly, I'm not going to have any takes on the new head coach until, like, November-ish, you know? Because we'll have actually time to see him adjust and do the things that Jeff Saturday didn't do in his time here. So um, whoever the new head coach is, that, that's probably going to be the way I look at it. It's just I, I need to see him run some stuff and handle some stuff and and deal with some things before I have a a, a feel for it one one way or the other.
1: Yeah, for me, I think I'm mostly going to have that approach. I guess what's a little different, I will judge a little bit or or at least react to the staff that they bring in. I think that's even more important to me than who the head coach is, is the type of staff they're able to cultivate. One of the, like I think a selling point for Dan Quinn, same for Raheem Morris, is that those are guys who are very established, well respected in the league, and also have ties to this defensive staff. So there's a chance where they can come in, uh if the timing works out and maybe keep Gus Bradley, Richard Smith, uh, you know, Ron Milas, guys like that who came up in that that Seattle style defense mold. And Richard Smith was actually Dan Quinn's uh defense coordinator in Atlanta. Uh so but but either way, it's like the, the staff that you're able to build and pitch and, and that creates your plan. So when I talk about plan and alignment, those guys align because they want to work for you. They're inspired to work for you. They're not your sixth option on the list, but also they're qualified for those positions and the players get it and the front office trust them to work with certain players this stuff really really matters and i saw it go the other way where when the lions hired matt patricia at the time of that first initial hire like there was so much excitement for hiring from you know now it's become a joke to hire from the the belichick tree but back then you know he was coming off of the super bowl appearance obviously went poorly against the eagles but they had uh, they'd just beaten the Falcons the year before. It was this idea of we're gonna tap in and bring the you know, bring sort of this this element of winning in the playoffs. And and he was a it was a very popular hire. But the problem, the first red flag I saw was the staff he presented. He did not want to pluck from Belichick's staff, and he had never worked anywhere but New England in the NFL. So the guys he was hiring, he kept some on the Lions staff, but he was mostly hiring some of these guys were from the college ranks. Most of them had never, either never coached in the NFL or not for years. He hired a defense coordinator, Paul Pasqualoni, who was in his 70s. And as it played out that season, it was they were all in over their heads. So it wasn't just about the head coach. It was the whole staff was in the roster knew it, and they're comparing it to the last one they had, and it was friction. That to me, the staff here will present, and that's what we keep hearing about Jeff Saturday is that if he it keeps being floated out there that if he gets the job it's because he's pitched this incredible staff and he says he wants to be more of a CEO style head coach. Well, all right, if you can, I might change a little bit of my tune based on the staff that Saturday rolls out. If he gets the job, I don't know that that will be enough though, that to, to actually quiet the, uh, the violent visceral reaction from the fan base and, and everything else nationally, if he ends up getting it though. Um,
0: yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see with the staff you know, and I think sometimes with the staff stuff too. Like I think last year when the Colts hired Gus Bradley, I think most people I think there was a pretty tepid reaction to that. And it was a good hire. It was a good hire Frank Rightman. Mm-hmm. Um I know the I know the the defense collapsed on the stretch, but he he did a good creative job with that defense. Um and and so even that. I guess it's one of those things that I'm going to be like. Well, I still have to see. <laughs> um which, yeah. this is not how you're we'll supposed to do it. podcasting. This is this is poor podcasting when you uh, when you say I'm going to wait and see until November because everyone's going to be like, I don't want that, Joel. Uh, sorry, that's that's, but for better or worse, that's who I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, again, Nick Sirianni can be your best example of that because. That one's not an exciting for sure kind of hire and didn't get off to the best start, but man, it looks good right now.
0: So that's it for this week. Hopefully by
1: the time we do this next
0: week, they will be well, we'll know the final field of seven. Maybe there'll be some some information moving that way. Um towards towards I I, I would love to be covering a a actual head coach. I'm very jealous of Carolina writers. Uh, they're the, they're the first team to have somebody off the board, and intru- and soon to be introduced, I'd assume. Um, so I'm je- jealous of them. I'm like you guys. I would like to find out who the coach is going to be. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have it by the next time we podcast, but things are, are are slowly turning. We're in the third quarter now. Going back to the last podcast, we we, we made it to the third quarter. So we'll see. We'll see what what happens. Um, for the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Jolie Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. And keep your idea, dial tuned to IndyStar.com for any developments that happen over the next week.